0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We are the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting out of the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe. And I am actually live from my home as we are dealing with the coronavirus situation. And we have our international guest joining us from the UK. We'll be introducing uh, Simon Harris here shortly. I also want to say thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. For over seven years now, the PMO Squad has been providing project management resources, training, and best practices to help improve and establish your PMO in your organization. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about all the services they offer. Also, a reminder for everyone to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com to see a list of our upcoming episodes, listen to all of your favorite episodes from the past, and, of course, uh, get to know our amazing guests that we've had on over the years. So I'm super excited today to have with us Simon Harris joining. Welcome, Simon. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
0: Thank you. I've been in projects since about 1979, which is why I'm this color. (laughs) Um, I I set my first PMO up in 1999. I've been doing training with folks since before then. In fact, it was a bit of a sideline for a very long time and the last few years it's been the major uh, activity. I try very hard to take people through how you do the job. I have done the certification training stuff and at one level it's an easy thing to do because there's a book and that's, that's the thing that people need to study but it's not where I find life most rewarding. My, I find the a rewarding side of stuff really dealing with what are the hassles uh, and the challenges of which we are in the midst of some right at the moment aren't we and yeah certainly the we? question is where are we going to be in months to come and how long will it take to get to a a new stable i don't say back to normal because we're never going back it'll be a new forward normal
1: yeah and where are you uh, where are you located simon
0: i'm in edinburgh in scotland uh, not that you'd tell that from my accent, although you'd get it from my children's accents. My wife found a derelict um, farmhouse while I was on contract with a local bank. So I was born in London uh, and moved slowly up the country. And we've been in Scotland for more than 20 years now. So we're on the, we're on the edge of Edinburgh. It's, it's about three miles that way. All right. Very nice. And, well, thank you. I'm doing all right because I have a
1: beer. Yes, it's uh, seven o'clock at night or so, I believe, for you, and eleven o'clock yeah. for me here in Phoenix. So I wish I'd be uh, having a pint with you, but maybe we can get together one day and, and do that in person.
0: I'll be asleep when you're having your um, <laughs> when you're having your beer.
1: And we had a, a good friend of yours, uh, Lindsey Scott, on a few episodes back. Uh, she, okay. uh, I pulled the dog story on her that we had uh, discussed offline, you and I, and she, I think she said. Uh, for me to ask about your cats, if I remember right. Uh,
0: yes, uh, we, we have a cat that uh, particularly likes to sit on my desk here, which Lindsay renamed. The, the cat's actually called Beryl. We'd had Beryl for, for a year from the local rescue before we decided, or she told us what her name was. Uh, and, and we called her Beryl the Barrel. Uh, she was she was sort of variously um, Mrs. Flicky tail and things. But anyway, Lin- Lindsay uh, retitled her barrel big bum. Which was, <laughs> <laughs> she's triangular when she sits down. So yeah, so you you did Lindsay on the um, on Bella. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Lindsay is uh, doing a weekly sort of thing like this on Wednesdays at three o'clock UK time. I've seen her just uh, whatever it was yesterday. <laughs> ah,
1: very nice. Next time I see her, let her know I said hello for me, please. I will indeed. All right. Well, so let's get into project management a little bit, or PMOs, and and chat through that. If you want to, I guess, get us started, just share your thoughts a little bit on PMOs and uh, maybe some unconventional thoughts, I guess, or uh, to what the traditional PMO. I'm in that probably the, the school of thought similar to you in the sense that the traditional PMO isn't the best approach to go about things, but I think uh, we'll have a fun chat here as to maybe why you and I think that.
0: Yeah, when you, when you start with something so open as opportunity to talk, um, it's a challenge to know where to start, really. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that we could say about the past and why PMOs have been as they, they are. And I think it's much more interesting to talk about the future because that's the bit that we can influence. It's the place where value sits. Um, uh, And maybe in that journey and into the discussion about the journey into the future, we might need to refer back to the past for some understanding. Uh, I'm going to start with a a thought that the CFO, Chief Financial Officer, Finance Director in an organization, uh, is there because of the way we've constructed capital markets. To, for, for an organisation to use capital. Uh, and by capital, I don't mean money, although that is obviously one form. Uh, I, I mean the interconnected, shared understanding of a group of people that's in the middle of a supply chain between suppliers and customers. Uh, and the finance folks sit there on a, running on a cycle that's dictated by the sun and the moon about monthly accounting. And, and, and I'll use the term bean counting, but I don't really mean it in a derogatory sense. So they're there counting how the beans are flowing through the system when that system's in a state of of, of stable, cyclic delivery of value. And maybe over the last 30, 20, 50, 75, something like that, years, uh, we've seen the rate at which change arrives cause the organization to need to put some specialism around being able to deal with change. And that's given rise to the project management community. And I think that we haven't really written a good understanding of how that process works. So we get confusion with project management and program management and portfolio. And if we want to, we could explore in this conversation what those things are and how how they fit together and how they are separate and those sorts of things. But I think that establishes for us a future view of the PMO as the bean counting half of the organization's change function. So the organization has to be a combination of RTO, run the organization, and CTO, change the organization. And the change bit arrives as a result of unnegotiable external pressures and discretionary internal pressures. And somebody has to have an understanding and control of the levers that are in the operational side and somebody has to have an understanding of what's going on and hands on the levers in the change side. And currently, that's two groups. And the second group is, is potentially the PMO group. And then we have to decide whether or not we want to actually call it something like an SMO for maybe strategy management. Or, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can talk about. Is the PMO then usurping the role of the, of the board, the exec, the non-exec, et cetera, in, in terms of setting direction uh, and understanding at what point does its authority start and stop in order to be able to support the folk who have duties that are enshrined in law. Uh, in the UK, it would be the Companies Act. Um, so it would be something similar in the US. So, so that's, that's a sort of attempt to lay out some landscape that answers your very broad quest- question. I'm looking forward, yeah. not backwards.
1: So if we're kind of taking the the PMO then and tying it up, saddling it up next to the finance component of the organization, and as you refer to, we've got the keep the lights on work and the discretionary work. Yeah. In today's coronavirus world, um, we've obviously impacted a lot of that because the discretionary is... Uh, paused right and it's keep the lights on let's make sure the company stays around how do we how do we leverage the skills that we can bring from the project community into a little bit of that uh keep the lights on world
0: yeah you're 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 good at these um (laughs) the (laughs) questions (laughs) the real challenges. i i was in a conversation earlier today with um 25 folk, where uh, a a friend had got somebody from the recruitment industry to come along and share some thoughts about what the job prospects look like in the coming months. And I was in one yesterday, the one that Lindsay and uh, and her colleague Eileen had hosted, where they had somebody from one of the um, sort of mid sized consultancies in the UK talking about the issues around. Corona? You're asking really broad questions. So, one thought is that the people who were in organizations sort of the day before lockdown type activities started had a portfolio in flight. And the day after, the day after they were relocated, and within like two days, they had established the ability to work remotely, even though it was very clunky. And now, four or six weeks further on, um, some of the infrastructure hygiene type factors have been resolved. So most people now know how to get on a Zoom call. call. Although I'm finding very frequently you have to sort of send a private message to the host that says Alt-M will mute all because they don't, and so quite often the host doesn't actually know just the basic command structure of things like like Zoom. Um, so we've we've created really quickly the abil- the infrastructure ability to converse with each other. Mm-hmm. Some projects, as you've just said, some some initiatives, as you've just said, have gone on to hold, but not all of them. Some of them, almost the sort of skunk works bit, have um, have have managed to stay active because the people dispersed but the control systems are maybe not quite so robust so now we've probably got people in organizations who are doing things that are no longer aligned to where the organization needs to go because they're aligned to where the organization was going so we've got we've got projects that are running that we should be stopping we've got a complete we've got the potential for a complete change in our supply chain relationships our customer base are backwards into who supplies us and so the strategic landscape that we should have a map of has completely changed and is now out of alignment with the activities that we're running. So we need a portfolio rebalancing activity. Yeah. But an awful lot of organizations are not very good at, at, at the portfolio bit. Certainly an awful lot of PMOs feel that they need, that they deserve a place at that table, but are not having the conversations, not presenting themselves or not being accepted to support those dialogues. I think my tuppence worth there would be post, you know, like post this month, we need to be having the conversations with the folk who do legitimately sit at that table, whispering in their ears, saying, if you haven't already worked it out, here are some conversations that need to be happening around that table. I'm not expecting that you give me a seat at it, but I can certainly put some things into your ear that you should, with your colleagues, Be discussing around what our portfolio of resource allocations look like. Where are the people who have skill and knowledge about what our landscape looks like that we can plot our new future? And a huge amount of that plotting the new future in the short term is going to be about how do we generate cash flow so we can cover the payroll? Because unless we cover the payroll, we can't keep the staff. And if we lose the staff, we don't have our knowledge base. We lose that capital. I mean, we might still have the buildings, but they don't do anything on their own. So I, I think that's sort of where we have to start thinking as a PMO for next for tomorrow, really, but yeah, next mean, week, next month.
1: One indicator for us, right? Do we uh, some labor statistics came out here in the states today, and another three plus million or. Are- Filed for unemployment, so we're over 33 million unemployed in the last seven weeks, and and I can see that direct reflection in the number of applicants who've applied at the PMO squad is up about tenfold from what's normal, right? So we have a lot of PM uh, specialists and agilists out there who are applying to become consultants because they're (laughs) you know they're they're looking for their next opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So so we're in a bit of the not normal world, right? I mean, obviously this is. um, This has been a disruptor that we haven't really seen before. So we have to account for that and, and understand that, of course. But you mentioned portfolios in there. Um, so let's go back to, at some point, stability is going to return to the workforce. And, and let's let's get out of the COVID world and back to whatever reality will be post-COVID, right? I mean, it, it's not going to be normal to your point you said at the beginning.
0: Well, it will be normal, but it won't be. Ca- won't, won't be what we see now
1: right it won't it won't be the old normal right it'll be the new normal it'll be the new normal i'm
0: writing this as n with a with a subscripted n below it i'm gonna i'm gonna put a tm or something on it <laughs> so it, it could have been n squared and i thought that was too passe so it's big n subscript
1: <laughs> all right i like it so how so what does that i can't really say what does that look like i don't think any of us know but when know. we get to the point of having to work through portfolios and you had said that uh, PMOs may not have been doing that well in the first place. It may be more important that we actually get it right in the next wave here, the next normal. How, how do you see that? How does portfolio management really going to play
0: into this? I suspect I have a slightly different mental model from the one you're describing in the question there. I'd see a, a, an organization as a collection of capital, uh, of which the most important is the shared knowledge of how to interact between the work- people who are its workforce, its employees, and its um, whether they're in- on the payroll or whether they're paid through sort of consulting arrangements and the accounts payable function, uh, and indeed the links forwards into the customer and backwards into the supply chain. And that's the portfolio, because that's the sum total of all of the resources being deployed that we have access to. Uh, And then out of that, we can say some of those resources work on the the business as usual and some work on the change stuff. Uh, And when we get it right, then we should be saying that portfolio management is about how do I get the best value for money for the taxpayer or the best return on investment for the shareholder. So it's about allocation of resources. And and I wasn't trying to say the PMO is bad at this. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to say that organizations, per se, have been of mixed abilities uh, in, in their competency with this. So we see organizations wax and wane. Very few organizations now are 50 or 100 years old, for example. So the management structures that we currently use are probably not equal to the dynamics of the environment that the business is running. Uh, and they were more suited to it in the past because we had businesses that were much, much older and, and persisted for much longer. Within the portfolio, we then need to understand how we do the operational stuff. Typically, we're quite good at that. It's cyclic, and humans are very good at stepwise refinement. Mm-hmm. And we could go down the path here of single cycle, single loop learning, double loop learning, and triple loop learning. And then on the other side, we 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 have projects and programs, which I don't think we've been well served by. Uh, the definitions of those. I mean, we, we had definitions that were as good as we could understand them, uh, and I think our understanding needs to move on. And, and my characterization would be a project produces a product and a project manager is a semi-technical person. They have to understand what the project team's doing, whether you're building an aircraft carrier or a dog kennel. You have to understand the, the technical work to be the project manager. And I think that maybe some of the stuff that people like PMI publish that starts to try and suggest the project manager's remit should expand in both post-delivery into benefits and, and, and pre-sanction into business justification is creating a a role definition that's beyond what industry has has a need for or an appetite for. So if we define project as the delivery of a product, then we need to say, what's program do? And program, I'm going to suggest, takes the whole business change from conception through to benefit flow. And that probably is benefit startup and, and into stabilization. But the operational leadership should do the benefits, um, optimization and stabilization. So now the the definition now is that portfolio management is what the executive team has always been there to do get the best use of capital. The PMO, because the nature of change that we deal with today requires management structures like, for example, agile, and we shouldn't confine agile to software development. There was really, really good insight. People like Richard Pascal and um, his book *Surfing the Age of Chaos* was was showing us what complex adaptive systems um, thinking, and um, even von Mulk and Klausovitch. Prussian generals in the sort of end of the eighteenth, beginning of the nineteenth century, were showing us how to how to manage a, a intent and objective. Uh, then, so we should be as PMOs supporting the the triangle of the organisation, do the things it needs to do at strategic, tactical, and operational levels. And uh, and and now is possibly a great opportunity for both organisations and PMOs to restock, take. Uh, about how you combine all that stuff together to to uh, be high performing
1: so if we have have we mislabeled then or are we allowing labels pmo project management office portfolio management office program whatever it may be the p in your organization to really not align to what we're doing right because if we're if we're a PMO and you're a project management office and you're a, your guidance is to take executive decisions to manage a portfolio, you're outside your breadth and scope of expertise. And, and, and how do we do that, right? So does the PMO in company A, company B, and company C, are they comparable? You know, we, we, the definition of a project manager can be comparable and carried across companies because that role is producing in your definition of product. Yeah. But that PMO at the organization of A, B, and C are now completely different because of the expectations placed upon them.
0: I, I tend to think that that's always been the case and always will be the case. And I tend to think that that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned to me earlier that you'd been talking to Lee Lambert. Yeah. Um, uh, helped us, uh, helped us all fantastically by being one of the prime movers to create the Project Management Institute. Uh, the Bill Duncan putting together the first, the first edition of the PMBOK, which, by the way, you may not see very often, but there's a first, there's a first edition PMBOK. It's got a little
1: age um, on the pages.
0: Yeah, and um, I've got the sixth edition here, which is. Look at the difference in thickness. Oh, I think yeah. the first edition actually says more and more useful than the sixth edition. And that's really part of my answer to your question. But I think you're right to say, to reflect that I was saying that the, the words are not giving us a good description of what the use of these things in to, to look like tomorrow but they give us a good description of what it looked like yesterday. Mm -hmm. And without the PMI, uh, and in the UK there was the CCTA, Central Communications and Telecommunications Agency, who wrote a whole bunch of handbooks which are over there, so I'm not going to go and get those. (laughs) And that became the prints and the SSADM manual and stuff like that. Without these people codifying the body of knowledge for it to then be spread and for that spreading of the knowledge to then... Allow people to share conversation and move it on, we wouldn't be where we are. But the flip side of it is, uh, and here I am probably going to be a bit more critical of, of, of people like the PMI and and axelos They then encapsulate it into a book that describes yesterday, and then ask people to sit down and take an exam in what was the definition of this as of yester- yesterday. I mean, it's it's the argument about the Spotify model. Know the, you know the, have, you, have you heard the discussion that people have about Spotify? Nobody uses the Spotify model, including Spotify. Right. Because as soon as it was written down, it wasn't what they did anymore.
1: Right. There's
0: a quote, I believe, at the beginning of the Spotify description. I can't remember. Is it Kinberg or whatever? It says, you know, D- don't follow this. This is what works for us. It won't work for you because you're different to us. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I agree with the assertion that you made. The words are not right for us. They were right. They have crystallized something that was right, but it isn't what is right, and it isn't what we do need as we move forwards. And that's where our problem is. That's one of our
1: problems. And we've codified through PMBOK and other manuals, right? other documents like PMBOK, a language that allows project managers to speak that common language. Yet there isn't a comparable document for a PMO leader. Right. There's some loosely successful, and, and they may argue with me over their success or not. Um, wow. Organizations in Europe and out of Brazil, of course, and maybe one out of Australia that are Ooh, trying.
0: Brazil. To work I don't know that. about that. What's, what's that? Tell me about that.
1: Well, you've got the folks with the, the uh, PMO value ring.
0: America oh, OK. Yeah. Those, yeah. Uh, um,
1: yep. AmeriCo. Yep. His organization out of there. So, I okay. mean, there's some work in the space, right? I'm not yeah. trying to diminish that at all. But it's certainly not as widely accepted as as a PMBOK would be, right? So we don't have that common language of a PMO leader. So it gets to be self defined from organization to organization, and as we change, right? Because nobody stays in the job. The, the organizations aren't around for fifty years, as you mentioned, but we don't stay in the job for twenty years any longer either. Mm. So as I go from organization to organization every five years, I carry the definition I had from the prior organization, but they may be using a different definition of the PMO. And oftentimes we see a, a approximately a three-year life cycle for the PMOs, right? Where they, they fail. Ooh. Depending that, on how you define fail and depending life cycle, again, those are, those are good discussion
0: points. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of suggestion that that is a misquoting of a academic paper by Monique Aubrey, Who's, uh, is she in Montreal? She's is in certainly a Canadian university. I think I'm pretty sure it's Montreal, but not 100%. Yeah, there's, there's, I'm pretty sure that there are those who would say that's a misquote, um, and the reality is that PMOs transform themselves. And I think that's actually something that, we, that might be worth touching on as a, as a topic. I agree with you. This body of knowledge could be dis- put around a PMO. A PMO, for me, fundamentally... Is, is a service delivery. I, I, I went into an organization a very, very long time ago. The previous PMO manager had, had just recently been fired, like the Friday or, or before the Monday I arrived. Um, and it was a big program, 400-people program, and um, there were people like IBM who were body shopping lots and lots of people in, and so there was an IBM um, program director who, did, who wasn't the top of the tree. And I remember having a conversation with her, you know sort of hello I'm Simon I've I've taken the PMO over Uh, and um, she said what do you expect me to do with with my risk register and I said why are you asking he said well your predecessor insisted that I shared it with her uh, and it was completely transparent and I said well I I expect you to put real stuff in it and use it and manage it and tell me when it impacts me but after that I don't expect you to wash your laundry in public and she said well that's a really different perspective and I said well <laughs> my view is I'm here as a service provider I'm not trying to take your job over you have to tell me what services you need and then I will with my team try and suggest the way in which we can deliver that service and our primary aim is to be able to create a transparent feed of information across the RAID portfolio risk assumptions. Um, And I don't know what you want to call the I, issues or interfaces. But if you call the I interfaces, then what's the D for dependencies, etc.? So I think that we've got an evolving definition, but that definition is embedded in delivering service to projects. So if I now ask the question, "How do you manage services?" I would turn to Siam. You know, service integration and asset management. I'd, I'd look at. I mean, I do look at things like COBIT. COBIT. I've been using COBIT since version two. I trained a whole bunch of Deloitte um, risk practice managers in COBIT version two, uh, and um, and you know we're up to COBIT twenty nineteen now. It, it, that's the that that's the integrating platform of how do you make something auditable that does service delivery and then it sits on top of itil version 4 and all the other integratable components so i sort of wondered do we need a pmo body of knowledge if we've got a project management body of knowledge and a service Mm -hmm. management framework that goes backwards into uh, how do we audit because by the time you can audit Against service levels, you've got governance. So, I, I, yeah, I would.
1: I would agree. I, I don't think we need a book, right? Because I'm. You had mentioned uh, military intent a, a bit ago, um, and, and I've got a.
0: Uh, yeah, I saw the. I saw the.
1: <laughs> I've I've got a quote, uh, a patent general patent quote I love of never tell people how to do things tell them what to do and they'll surprise you with their ingenuity yeah and in the military right there's commander's intent here in the U.S. military one of their uh, six protocols they work off of right of Mm -hmm. uh, we have a common mission we're going to train the team on how to do their jobs and we're going to build trust and discipline within the team but after I tell you the mission it's up to you to go achieve it yeah And, and I think if we had a Pimbach version for PMO leaders that would go against that that mantra, right? I, I think we need to to bring commander's intent into the corporate world and empower our resources to be able to go deliver for us.
0: Absolutely, and that's how we. I mean, we've got that challenge with COVID, haven't we? The the challenge with COVID is how do we get the the folk who have the knowledge because there's, there's, there are no experts. Nobody knows how to cure COVID. There's, there's no there's no um, vaccine for it, for example. So we might have a whole bunch of really, really smart hematologists and um, virologists and all the rest of it, but nobody actually knows how to solve this problem. So the challenge now becomes one of how do you solve a problem that's in a complex adaptive systems space? That is to say stuff's emergent. You can't pre-plan. You have to be able to react. And it's all these things that the software community picked up when they put some procedure around how do you deliver software, and we've got the Agile software movement, which Mm -hmm. always sort of, there's a dichotomy in there that I wish more people would either argue cogently against me or or come to understand, which is Agile is is much, much more prescriptive about the process. I mean, if you read the, the Scrum guide, you will you will not have more than a three hour meeting for a ten day sprint, for example. It's, it's in fact fantastically prescriptive about the yeah. process, but not about the solution space. About the solution space, it's entirely agnostic. One of my favourite pieces of training is um, is to take people through leading complex projects and and, and suggesting to them the ways in which. If you can find out people's motivators and align their motivators with with the boss's intention and then get then trigger a disaster and get out of the way <laughs> because of their motivation, the, the disaster is necessary to cause action because asking people to do something mostly gets a response of of, of agreement but not action so the triggering a disaster is is the trigger for action
1: but well, we've in corporate world though we've we've been Trained that we have a merit increase and a performance review coming up at the end of the year. So I'm my job as an employee is to make my boss happy so that I get a raise. Absolutely, right? I mean, so we've were uh, we're at fault for the the world we've built, and I think there's some change agents out there in the world that uh, are trying to drive against that, but it's a big block
0: to push. Yeah there are definitely people who have an understanding of how to create different behavioral norms and different cultures that are more successful than others and push against that. Um, so, yeah, I think you're quite quite right. We've we've learned in the last 50 years, and that's also something that we could explore. That it, it starts to dovetail with where we started, which is why is project management as it is? Um, and partly that comes out of things like engineering. I mean, it, it comes out, just to not go too far down that pathway, but if we went back 50 or 70 years, very few people were university educated. There were an awful lot of people who could um, bash rivets. Right. So the folk who were considered to be able to plot strategic vision into the future were a few number of people at the top of the organization and they could plot the future in an engineering deterministic manner so they could then command and control folk, you do this. Why? Well, you don't need to know. Just do this, and it will contribute to the end result. So all the people in command and control did what they were told, and we produced the end result. at you know, had a battleship or something or, or an office block or whatever. But now all the strategic intelligence – is either at the very top or the very bottom of the organization. The folk at the very top of the organization have a vision of the marketplace, but very little of what the technology is capable of. And the folk at the bottom, who are now fantastically educated and have deep, deep understandings of, I mean, you know, just how deep can you go into, say, uh, analyzing of mobile phone traffic at Christmas to, put, to identify where people are shopping? I mean, that is an, an, an actual uh, I- example. Of a, a, a company that was doing stock price automated automated trading, they were analysing mobile phone traffic and signal from masts to try and uh, predict how people were shopping at Christmas. Um, we've now got hugely educated components of solutions at the at the bottom, and the the folk at the bottom know what's capable, but not what direction to go in. The folk at the top know what direction to go in, but not what's capable. Maybe there's a maybe there's a role here. I'm not sure. I believe this, but maybe there's a role here for the for PMOs at this level, this level, and this level to start gluing some of that together.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Somehow we need we need ways to glue it together. Another argument is you compress the number of levels in the organization. Another argument is you do the you do the software thing. I mean, I think it was wonderful of the software industry to say what we need is a product owner. Mm-hmm. That is to say, the the challenge of producing a piece of software is split into two pieces. One is you've got to make the software, and the other is you've got to understand what it does. So we'll just outsource the the whole of the problem about what it does to somebody we'll label a product owner. Yeah. I mean, take everything that's difficult and put it in, in, in the hands of one person and say, you're responsible for everything about linking this to reality.
1: Well, that's the, I I think uh, going back to your description and perhaps inconsistent definition in the world about agile is because agile with a lower A, the agility to do things is confusing to how you do agile software development. And if we're going to put that knowledge into the hands of a product owner, I can have agility of how to react to an individual's direction. And, and people lose the the methodology if we want to give it that name of what Agile's supposed to do when we do that with a product owner right so we have this control life cycle versus a development life cycle and sometimes uh since it's misunderstood or not understood we lose the the difference between those and we just combine them right we don't we don't Operate under one or the other, they just mix into one way to operate.
0: I agree. Um, I, I was having a Twitter conversation today with somebody who um, really made me smile because he said, uh, From Ada Lovelace to today is, I can't remember the numbers, like 175 years. Uh, and from Snowbird to today is whatever it is, 21 years or 19 or something. Uh, and that's 13%. So we've had agile. Uh, ag- agile thinking for 13% of the amount of time that we've been doing um software development I, to which my my response was to say I'm um, why did you start with ada lovelace why didn't you go back to jacquard looms but that that may be a bit too subtle a joke for um for perhaps some of the pmo audience because it's a fairly software oriented uh, discussion but I, but it was a it was a very validly made point that um we're still really working out how to do a lot of this stuff and the world around us is changing as we uh, as we're moving uh, and the stuff that we're working out we're working out better solutions for how to do it than we had 10 years ago and the like and if we could get things like things like this to not solidify it in ways that then mean that it becomes Aussie-fied and doesn't i mean things like that ha- have a purpose and I think we've really sort of got to the point of it's. Some of this is a bit imponderable. Some we we can. There are some things that that you can see with clarity, but beyond that, the paradigm shift that we need is not so is not predictable. It's the maybe it's the Einstein quote, which is you can't. Whether he said it or not, which is you can't solve a problem with the thinking that created it. That's always a well, challenge.
1: That, isn't that evolution, right? I mean, the, the, the Agile for the past 13% of all of software development is because we've evolved into Agile, and what will we evolve, evolve into next?
0: Yeah. It does seem at the moment there's an awful lot of people who are um, evolving Agile into go back 20 years. So Agile agnostic and the real Agile and the heart of Agile, you know, these are all phrases I hear that um, I'm, I'm, prob- I'm far too ignorant to talk about them really, but they sound to me like they're, let's go back to our roots. We've, we've gone off in a, in a direction that um, maybe is not as insightful as the, as the insights that 20 years ago sp- spurred the, the direction. And, and maybe part of that is things like SAFE. I hear a lot of people uh, voicing opinions about SAFE. Mostly negative, I'd say. Mo- mostly, this is taking us back into big four consulting and and corporate territory, and has denatured the the, the ideals that were there. Uh, and I've no visibility of what PMI will do with Dad and and Flex and things like that. But you know, we have to wonder: well, there is the PMI a project management institute or a software development institute? Now, um it'd be really great to have somebody who to who would clarify and defend or or otherwise debate that Um, i'm sure it's a very inflammatory and reactionary statement on my part to say it but i'd like to hear an argument against it
1: well i think it's it's a good observation i mean that's and you're not alone in that observation right (laughs) i mean if the project management institute purchases disciplined agile You've just expanded the boundaries that were originally built. And that's not right or wrong. It's just an observation, right? I mean, it, but
0: you've, you've taken the whole organization in the direction of one industry.
1: Yeah. And I, again, I don't know if that's evolution and that's OK. But what's the strategy behind that? And where I are think we I
0: think if I was a mechanical engineer in oil and gas, I'd be wondering about whether or not I still have somebody who, um, who represents me. And maybe I ought to go off and join the American Association. Association of Cost Engineers or somebody like that.
1: Well, certainly, yeah. If I'm going to be building a bridge, I don't want to prototype it, you know, and and have some cars fall off. I mean, <laughs> a traditional project management isn't going away, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. The the, the front end loading and front end engineering design um, steps within a mature engineering lifecycle, where you build what you know will work because you did the. The activities that you needed to do for that, which would include, by the way, fr- prototyping, but in a different way to software. Right. Uh, those 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 things are still necessary. You know, there's a lot of people involved in in oil and gas and pharma and um, and civil engineering, electrical, marine, and aeronautical, etc. That mm-hmm. maybe have some crossover needs to have conversation with software engineering. I mean, there's, there's synergies, there's value in travel broadens the mind, talk to colleagues in, uh, in in other disciplines. But the PMI, I don't really want to get into the sort of territory of, of questioning their integrity, but the, the, the PMI was, I thought, Project Management Institute, and that wasn't industry-specific because there have been some industry-specific versions of the of the PMBOK, um, and I think that's entirely Appropriate. Here's the pinbook, and here's the version of the or pinbook guide, just to be sorry, Bill. Yeah. Sorry, Duncan. (laughs) Don't get on his wrath. Yeah, yeah. uh, He he and Stacey did uh, tell me once, a long time ago. I see. You call it the guide. Well done. So, but there was, I think there was a there was a defence extensions version there was a software extensions version and that's all entirely appropriate i don't
1: know well we we've diverted a bit away from pmo so let me bring us back there and and delve into a question about reinventing pmos periodically right to help me understand oh, okay. i think you've you've got some thought process behind that and that the pmo isn't a stagnant uh function it's a reinventing one. Where are you going with yeah, that? Yeah,
0: I, I, I'm not going to cl- claim original thought here, or, or I'm not going to claim um, original stimulus. So, but if we go back to that example I was using earlier, so I, I joined that organisation, uh, and there was a there was a standing PMO that I went in and uh, and s- started working in, and or start I, I was running it. Uh, so I start I did start working in it, but I was responsible for its direction. And there were a number of things that it was doing that I didn't think were appropriate. And there are a couple of things that it wasn't doing that as I went round so I went round the senior leadership team of the crew of course, the folk who sat at the same table as me on a weekly basis when I was expected to sort of say stuff about where we were to the to the guy who was um, direct report into the global finance director. And I'd gone and asked them, you know, what do I, what do you need me to do for you? which had shocked them all because they were used to being told, this is what you're going to do. So being asked a question was, and I found there was stuff that we weren't doing that they wanted. And there was stuff that we were doing that was a pain in the ass to them, duplicated stuff for them, didn't, didn't offer them value. I couldn't find where it offered other people value. So I stopped it. It just seems to me that that's, that's axiomatic. I had a rule of thumb and, and, and the rule of thumb's a bit apocryphal rather than literal, but I had people coming to me occasionally and saying, we need to put this in the project standards. And I'd say, well, okay, that's fine, but you've got to find something to take out if you're going to put that in, because I'm not allowing you to create create a standards document that's more than 35 pages long. And they said to me, why 35 pages? And I said, it's a number I picked out the air, and if you want to have a different number, then if you justify it to me and you persuade me, we'll have a different number. But 35 (laughs) is the number I've picked, and it contains the things that, when we don't do them, we get in trouble. And we have been learning as a result of having that, those things in that standard to habitually not do things wrong. Mm-hmm. So there are things it says that people no longer read because they don't need the guidance, because it's become embedded in the team interactions. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by the PMO needs to reinvent itself. And that's what I've heard other people say, and I completely agree with it. If your PMO is doing the same thing 18 months after it started doing something, then you have to ask yourself: Did we establish when we put this service in place the reasoning with the community that we're imposing upon why they need to do it in the for the benefit of some other community? I mean, it's typically the senior leadership need to understand that you have to give clarity on the way down, and that you have to respond when there are escalations coming back up. And I start there because most people would have expected me to start at the bottom and say, the folk at the bottom have to understand that you create a progress report like this because we have to aggregate the data. So it, it, it runs in both directions. So if I'm still having to have the same conversation with people 18 months after the need arose, then that suggests to me that I didn't do the explaining and the educating bit well enough. And if we establish that somewhere in the hierarchy there's some dysfunction and we want to put some rules around it, some guidance around it, and some uh, procedure, then I would hope with in less than 18 months people have come to a position where they sort of sufficiently understand it that I don't need to still be focusing on it. In which case now I've got bandwidth and capacity to do other stuff. So as a PMO, let's stop doing that. I'm not saying the organization should stop doing it. I'm just saying I don't have to support it or police it. So I should be doing something else. And that's an opportunity then to actually move my focus up the organization's value chain, which isn't always what people want and is, isn't necessarily. I, mean, I keep hearing people say the PMO should operate at the top level of the organization. And I can't quite bring myself to say, no, it shouldn't. But I do always have to ask, well, if you do that, when you get up to the senior leadership level, haven't you just duplicated the responsibilities that these people already had? Isn't that why they're there? They're not there to supervise. They're there to direct and lead. And that means anticipating and strategizing and allocating resources, et cetera. But at least in the reinventing bit, I'm asking the question, what can I do now that uses the resources with the most incremental value in the future? And, and that's, why, that's why I think the the reinvent bit comes. That's the place of, of reinvention. It's every month, every six weeks, every quarter asking the question.
1: I'm with you on this one. I think we're on lockstep and at the PMO squad, right? Where we created our our version of the value ring. We call it the purpose-driven PMO. Yeah, yeah. Because if you haven't defined your purpose, you don't know what you're doing and your purpose continually changes as you get changes to the executive team or natural disaster strikes like we're in now. And yeah, yeah. Um, if you don't reinvent and you're not aligned organizationally with what that reinvention is, how can you have success? I mean, the people who will be defining success for you are either going to be in agreement with what you're doing or in conflict with what you're doing. So, I, I agree with you. And I, I think it's a, uh, I think that's the evolution of the PMO because I think the traditional, the old PMO was we're going to be governance, we're going to be an auditing function, and we're going to make sure you do the process. Yes. We're not going to ensure the value because the organization's ownership of st- strategy and value is going to determine that. Um, yeah. I think I think the reinvention is is what we do, right? We're not the accounting department where you handle accounts receivable and accounts payable over and over again, right? Every piece of work we have is new. Yeah. So we, if we're not reinventing ourselves to align with the new direction of the company, how can we be successful?
0: Yeah, I agree with that entirely. A phrase I like um, here speaks to me. Is consistency of outcome, not consistency of process. Yes. And, and I think if I'm the FD, I'm going to say consistency of process because that delivers consistency of outcome. But if I'm the PMO, I'm going to say constantly changing combination of factors with a goal of consistent outcomes means different process in every, in every case. In which case, what I'm now talking about is having a set of principles or values that I can interpret situationally. And now we could go into models of complexity and and those sorts of conversations.
1: Well, and Um, it it brings us back to the description of, of how militaries function, right? It's missions and commander's intent are unique. Yeah. Yet in between missions, they train on discipline so that you get repeatable behavior and trust within your team. Yeah. In, in addition to that, right in the military, they bring the project to the team. Yes. Whereas in corporate America, we bring the team to the project. Yeah. And we bring in these disparate resources who may have never worked before, so there's no trust within the teams. And okay. A, again, we we go down a long rabbit hole with that discussion, but but to your point of the military does a lot of things right that we in corporate America or corporate world, regardless yeah. of America or not, just we have learned from
0: there was a book by two japanese professors nanaka and taguchi i think were the, are the right names who likened japanese industry to uh, a rugby match and western industry to a relay race and said some of the things that you've just said like the, the, the right way is to keep the team together and bring the work to them because the, the team is the thing that's of a value yeah
1: um
0: I don't know it for a fact, but I believe that it was a misunderstanding in the folk who were originally discussing Agile, but knowledge of uh, of, of that book that led them to come up with the phrase about Scrum, which... Um, you, you don't make progress in a scrum in a rugby match. If you do, you get fouled. The yeah. referee blows a whistle. You know, and this, whole, you, you hold the scrum. You know, there's a whole bunch of, of, of things there that would say, "Why did you call it scrum? You know, why <laughs> didn't you call it running line or something?" Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, we have uh, exhausted our time. It's uh, again, what a great conversation and fun, and how quickly it goes. Though, so, Simon, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your thoughts with everybody as uh, we need some good conversation in these days to take our minds off of what's out there, right, and give us some pause to be able to think about some things. So thank you so much for that.
0: Well, thank you very much for the, for the opportunity. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've explored the landscape and I was, I was deliberately trying to find ways in which to perhaps describe some of it in um, what you might either call provocative or um, thought-provoking Terms, I, th- I think generally we, we actually do a pretty amazing job with a, not a lot of appreciation because we're often in a position where we are imposing things on people and that's that's necessary. But I think we do need to think about where our future is ability to generate the most value lies and, and if we do that that gives us all much longer careers not that i'm looking for much longer
1: <laughs> is there uh, give you another moment here to be able to let the listeners know how to get in touch with you or if you have any uh, anything coming up that might be of interest for them how they can hear more that you have to
0: offer um uh, yeah sure thanks um i'm very easily detectable on linkedin just simon harris pmp all one word and like the rest of the world, uh, I'm, well, actually for about the last five years, I've been moving a lot of my training into online stuff. So uh, I have a website on learn.logicalmodel.net that has various uh, things on it. There's quite a lot on it for free. There's stuff on it that's, that's paid for. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of virtual instructor-led stuff over the next sort of Six weeks or so scheduled, which is being arranged through uh, IPMO Advisory MENA. If you find me on LinkedIn, then you'll find the the, the route through to uh, to them. If I was smarter and more sales oriented, I'd have had the web page up here and I'd have shared the the screen with the with the web address on it. But if you just look for IPO Advisory MENA, Middle East North Africa, uh, or if you or if you search for me on LinkedIn and, and, and chain through that way, then that will find you stuff. But no, I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent commercially, you know, let's, this, this wasn't about uh, how can we drag people onto training courses? Yeah. Um, but Hey, if you want to come and join a training course with me and have this sort of discussion and you know, kick the arguments around, then that's definitely something I'm up for.
1: Well, fantastic. Thank you again, Simon. And, and obviously thank you to all of our listeners be sure to visit projectmanagementofficehours.com to check out all the great content, shows, uh, and upcoming guests. We've got a great lineup coming up. Stuart Easton will be joining us uh, next out of Say the hello UK. to Stuart for me. Absolutely. And then we'll have uh, Lee Lambert, Jesse Fuel, we got Cornelius Fickner coming up, and of course so many more. Um, a reminder, of course, these shows are live, but we also record them, so be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours podcast on Apple iHeart iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your podcast platform of choice is. And, of course, thank you to our sponsor, the PMO Squad. Uh, without the PMO Squad, none of this would be possible. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all of their services. So that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.